So we've been doing a series on relationships, and uh, this series is going to be an indefinite length of time in terms of how many weeks we do. But last week I talked about the very clear foundation that Jesus, that God, that the Holy Spirit has demonstrated of what a relationship looks like. Not because God just told us this is what you've got to do, but God actually modeled it first. And the four things that I mentioned last week that, he, that he's modeled consistently throughout Scripture and continues to do to today is proximity, the idea of being close, the idea of value, of value in, in what, what, uh, what the relationship is with, the idea of empathy, actually caring about what, what, the, what the other party in the relationship And the fourth one is gift, which is about sacrifice and grace and mercy. Now, we're going to unpack these things over the next few weeks. We've got a guest speaker coming and sharing for us that's going to, um, that's going to, we're using technology. This is your old pal, Grover. Here we go. This is our guest speaker. I'm going to talk to you about near and far. In fact, I... So proximity, near and far, you got it? All sorted? Done. There was a study done in the 1970s by uh, Princeton University. They got some university students. They told them that they, individually, they told them that they needed to prepare a talk. 
And when they finished preparing their talk, they said to them, now, you're running late, but it'll only take a few minutes to go across the campus to the room that you have to present your talk. And so um, you're going to have to hurry, but yeah, head across the campus and your, your, your lecturer is going to assess your talk. Along the way, while they walked across, they staged someone who was in need, someone who was coughing and spluttering and having trouble in a little bit of a, a side area in an alley where they're out of the way. Um, and um, they, were, they were obviously in need. And the experiment was uh, how many people would stop and help this person on their trip, on their, on their journey across campus to get to this place of, of doing their, uh, their talk. Um, now, I want you to guess what percentage of people actually stopped. <clears throat> now, there's a few people who, are, who, can, who have got a head start because they, uh, they've heard this story already. Only people who haven't heard this story before are allowed to answer. So, I want you to put your hands on your laps if you think it's less than 50% and your hands on your head if you think it's more than 50%. We've got a couple more than, more than 50, but I'm guessing uh, less than 50 is generally a few folded arms who aren't interested. <laughs> Good. Oh, that's right. You can't play. Okay. Um, it's below 50. So I'm going to ask the same question above or below 30. Okay. We're still all below 30. Yep. Okay. Above or below 20. We're still below. It was in fact... 10%. One in 10 people stopped. Now, you might, you're, you're probably going, yeah, we, we, we got that, we thought that. <clears throat> These were theological students, and the talk they were given, to talk, the topic they were given to talk on, was the Good Samaritan. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this really happened. They were given a topic of talking about the Good Samaritan, and yet, in the urgency of heading across campus to give their talk, they missed what the Good Samaritan was about. Interestingly, those, there were other students that were told, you've got time, there's no rush, take your time, head across campus to give your talk. It all of a sudden went up to 65%. So those that were told you're running late blinkered in, in a, on a mission. Those that were told you've got time, over half did actually stop. And this is an amazing experiment, but what it tells us is that we all struggle with time. We all struggle with priorities. We all struggle with getting balance of what's more important. With, with priorities. And relationships take time. This, this is the challenge. This is the elephant in the room when you come to talking about relationships. Proximity takes time. Getting close to people takes time. Now, does anyone know of a situation where Jesus was rushed, was too busy, was hurried... Has anyone, can you think of a situation where Jesus was? With the discharge? 
in what context? He was, he was rushed or too busy. He was getting hustled and bustled along by a crowd, but that doesn't mean he was too busy. They were... Yes. Yeah, yeah. So he resisted the busyness of the crowd. Yeah? There is actually one, one situation. Yeah? That's, again, this is other people trying to put stuff on him that he, he... Like, this is not actually him rushing or too busy. Yeah? When he flipped the tables? Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. But again, I don't think he was too busy. He did what he needed to do. He had urgency, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. He was he was definitely intentional. I'm not not wanting to confuse too busy with with intentional. So absolutely. There's one place where it says the disciples were surprised because he was walking ahead. He was walking ahead of them. And it's in Mark ten when he's heading to Jerusalem. That's the one time where he looked like he was he was um hurried. He was rushed. He was he was yeah, he was running out of time. But predominantly, Jesus seemed to manage to exist in the moment, in the space, investing in what he needed to invest in. Does anyone know about the significance of the number 168? It's the number of dots if you count up every dot on a set of dominoes. That's not why I mentioned 168. It's because it's also the number of hours in a week. And it's actually exactly the same for everybody. Nobody gets more hours in the week than somebody else. Schindler, <laughs> Schindler does. Apparently Darren's employer gets more than 168 hours in a week. So I just want to deal with this up front because this is actually the elephant in the room when you talk about relationships. This is actually the one thing that, that I, I want to actually um, name and put in front of us that to actually say I'm too busy, to actually say I don't um, have time is actually another way of saying it's not important enough to me. Yeah. yeah, that's actually what we're saying. So I know of three people this week that I cancelled meetings with, right? Um, two of them, funnily, as I was thinking about this last night, was so that I could sleep. Um, so, yeah. But, but and to those two people are in the room. They weren't important enough to me compared to sleep. That's the reality. I can say I'm too busy. I can say I don't have enough time. But the reality was I opted to sleep. And, and they both know this. We, we actually talked about it. Um, but I opted to sleep rather than to catch up with them. That, that's the reality of the situation. I actually did an experiment a few years ago. It's a little bit nerdy, so please be gracious with me. I tracked my time, how I spent my time for about a month. <clears throat> right? So every day, I would track how much time I was sleeping, how much time I was getting ready in the morning, how much time I was on public transport getting to work, how much time I spent working. I, I, I tracked my time. I, I logged it into different categories. Now, part of the reason for doing that was at the time I was working 70, 80 hours a week, right? Which is a little bit above average. I know some people here that do 70 to 80 hours a week. 
and I wanted to, to try to see what was, what was going to fit and what wasn't going to fit because I couldn't see that changing. The thing that blew me away was when you took out all that time, when you took out um, all the transport, when you took out the, you know, the time to do grooming and stuff in the morning, you don't look this good without <laughs> grooming in the morning, right? There's a lot of work that goes into this physique, right? When you take all that out, right, all that stuff, I still had three hours a day on average spare, right? Working 80 hours a week, I still had three hours to do whatever I wanted with in my day. Now, I, I chose to do particular things and, you know, then you end up with zero hours. We all do that. We've only got 24 hours and we spend all of it. But I still had on average three hours a day. And if I dropped my work back to a normal 40-hour week, that all of a sudden jumps to seven, eight hours a day. And that blew me away. To, to go from a place of thinking that I'm super busy, I've got no time, to actually going, I've got three hours that, that are unallocated or I get to choose what's allocated outside of work and transport to and from work. And that, that really surprised me. I didn't realise that I had three hours a day. But the way I was wasting those three hours reflected that I didn't have any time. But when I mapped it out, I actually realised I had a lot of time. And my point's this. Before we start talking about how we can do relationships better, we've got to acknowledge that we've got to make a choice, that it's something we actually want to invest in. Whether it's our relationship with God, whether it's a relationship with ourselves, whether it's a relationship with our spouses or our kids or our neighbours um, or, our, or our Activate group or the people on the street, we've got to make a choice that it is actually important to us. If we don't make a commitment to that, everything that we share in this space is a waste of time. Because all of us can say, I was too busy, but what I hear when you tell me that is it wasn't important to me. Now, I want to give you an awesome example of this because um, <clears throat> there, was, there was somebody, and I think I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but that's okay. There was somebody who, who, who came to me and said, I'm not really hearing God's voice. I'm not really feeling like my relationship with God is very intimate. <clears throat> and then they, they did something really mature. They said, so I'm going to commit half an hour every day. I know at first it's going to feel like hard work, but I'm just hoping something different is going to happen. I'm going to meet half an hour every day to spend time just praying and reading God's Word. And I can tell you that they now can confidently say, I hear from God. Because they said, I want to invest in this relationship. James says that if you draw near to me, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. A relationship goes two ways. Now, just because it, because it goes two ways, it does mean that the other party has to connect as well. I realize that this is not just one way. But if you want a relationship to work, you've got to commit to it. And that's where we want to start the foundation here. There's a, um, there's a guy that did a study on... Uh, the biblical perspective of relationships and, and proximity in relationships. And he came up with five things. They're fantastic five things 
Um, if you want to unpack this further, I'll give you the, the full article and you can read through it all. It's actually really quite cool. But the five things are, are, are quite simple of what is it so important about proximity. Why does God care about proximity in relationships? And um, the first one is proximity gives directness, contact. It makes something tangible that was just an idea. So being close and, and, and contact is, is sometimes physical, but it's also just being present. Proximity is about being present. Um, and uh, I, was, I was reminded by someone who was talking about the challenge that pastors have, and this has challenged me on a Sunday morning, of having a conversation with them and feel like they spend more time looking over their shoulder than they do actually looking at them, right? And I was like, oh dear, that's me. I'm thinking about four other things when I'm standing in front of someone. But if I actually want a relationship with that person, I need to let go of those four other things and actually be present because being direct and having contact is important to proximity. The second one is continuity. It's about story. It's about the fact that if you're not present, if you're not in close space with someone, then you don't know their story. You don't know what's going on in their life. And it's the same with God. It's the same with ourselves. It's the same with others. It's about being close. Is about having a connection in the story. The third one is a weird word called multiplexicity. Multiplexicity. Complexity, multiplexity. Basically, you get to know people in different environments. So you see me here on a Sunday morning. Most people that know me go, well, how, how do you handle standing up talking to people? You like your own space and you're not really a public person. What's the go? Right? If this is the only space you see me, you're missing out on, well, it's not really, but um, <laughs> there's, there's so much other aspects to me than Sundays. And, you know, it was so funny, um, ping pong a couple of years ago, we, we did the, the um, 3 a.m. till 6 a.m. shift at Druin Baptist of the ping pong And at the end of it, Darren said to me, I met a different Matt this morning. I had no idea you were so competitive. <laughs> <laughs> there was myself and Parley were, were at each other. We, neither of us wanted to lose, and so we just kept playing each other. Um, to, yes, and I got a bit competitive. But you've got to be there at 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. in the morning playing table tennis with me, or you're not going to see that, unless I'm beating Darren at, at 500, but that's another story. <laughs> but proximity is about actually experiencing more of someone than one dimension. Yeah, you got it? Cool. The next one is parity. Being close reveals how you use your power. Yeah? Now, this can be unhealthy sometimes, but it actually can also be really healthy. With a child and a parent, right, when you're close, the parent gets to, gets to show what power looks like. How are they going to exercise their power in this relationship? That can be unhealthy, but it can also be amazing. And a child can feel really safe and secure in close proximity with an adult. That's just one example, but it doesn't have to be. No, in some relationships like us and God, the proximity and God, how he exercises his power is really profound in our relationship, isn't it? Because we could be really intimidated in that relationship if God wanted us to be, yeah? But that proximity actually shows how he's going to use his power. It's 
quite amazing. And the last one is commonality. The fact that when you're close, you actually get to see shared purpose. Yeah? So I just wanted to touch on this. I know it's a little bit brain, you know, messing stuff. Like it's, it's a bit deep. But this is really significant uh, to try and understand why God wants us to do proximity well. Because it's really valuable to him. Now, there's a, a couple of areas where we really struggle. And I'm just going to leave that up there if you want to just look at that in the background. There's a couple of areas that we really struggle with doing proximity well. For starters, our relationship with God. Often we struggle. 5.16 says, but, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I know for most of us we go, I really struggle to take time out to spend with God. I find that really hard. I find that a really challenging space. In addition to taking time out, Jesus was actually a good Jewish boy. He knew his scriptures and he went to synagogue every Saturday and, read, and, and heard scripture. They didn't have their Bible on their phone. Um, if you wanted to hear scripture, you went to the synagogue to hear that. And so he did that even through his ministry. He went to the synagogue and heard the scripture being spoken. The interesting thing is that on, on God's side of the, our relationship, the Holy Spirit actually fulfills all five of these. It's quite amazing that when you look at the five things that are important about being close, the Holy Spirit actually fulfills all five of these from God's side of the commitment. His side of the commitment is complete. It's done. It's, the Holy Spirit is actually so significant in that relationship. And yet, a relationship is two ways. And we've got to make a choice as people if we actually want to engage in that relationship, if we want to invest in that relationship, if we want that relationship to be strong, we've got to actually commit to that. The second one is our relationship with ourselves. Now, this is a bit of a weird one because you think about it, how can I get closer to myself than I already am, right? I'll give you an example. I think we all probably have known somebody who has spent every evening drinking and often the reason they're drinking is to avoid spending time with themselves because the things that their mind is saying, the pain that they're feeling, the, the lives that they're experiencing and the, the things that that brings up in their minds, they don't want to deal with. And so they want to run away from themselves. And so what they do is they drink, do drugs, or do things to stop their brain from talking to them. That's a severe case. I would argue we actually all do it ourselves as well. When we sit in front of the TV for hours, when we spend hours on social media, when we spend hours looking at YouTube clips and surfing the web, we're actually just avoiding spending time with ourselves. We don't want to know what we're thinking. We're much happier to hear what someone else is saying or what some debate is on, on YouTube or, or some debate is on, on social media. And I really want to challenge us in this space because I know sometimes spending too much time with yourself, you can end up with a twisted idea. That's where part one of spending time with God is so valuable. But... I actually think culturally we have a problem with a healthy agenda of spending time without another voice talking at us, another voice in that space. The third one is, is a relationship with those close to us. Now, when things get hard, 
things get heated, when things get broken, often our first point of call is to retreat. Yeah, we all, we all understand that idea. And that is breaking proximity. That's, that's what it is. The idea if, if our relationship, if Paul and I aren't getting along, I start not answering his phone calls. I was trying to be subtle about it, but I had to put in a message just so that you got the... No. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? One of the first things we do when a relationship is struggling is we separate. We, we put something between us. And proximity doesn't always mean physical. It can mean we stop talking to each other. Um, but it can also be physical. Um, interestingly, from a church point of view, if you want to communicate to me that you don't want to be part of Catalyst anymore, the most clear way you can do that, um, because it's pretty consistent, is to unsubscribe from the mailing list. Right? It pretty much consistently over the last two years, when someone unsubscribes from the mailing list, I know I'm going to get a phone call pretty soon saying, oh, we've decided uh, we're, we're going somewhere else. But it's fascinating, isn't it? Because unsubscribing from the mailing list is a way of distancing. I don't want to... I don't want to receive communication from the church anymore. And I'm not criticizing that. I'm just saying it's a reflection of distance in the relationship. This is actually not the way Scripture talks about how to deal with relationships. And I've got to call this for what it is because we suck at this. It's our first point of response when a relationship breaks is to distance ourselves. And we'll talk to anybody who'll listen to us apart from the one person that we're struggling with. We'll bitch and moan. We'll, we'll do anything but talk to the one person we're struggling with. And it is not the way Jesus designed relationships to be. Now, I'm not pretending that relationships aren't two ways and, and there's complexity in there and it's hard. But Ephesians 4.26 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. It implies that if it's lasted more than a day and you haven't done something about it, it's not healthy anymore. Matthew eighteen fifteen says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone, not to everyone on social media, to you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Time and time again, Jesus calls us to be the mature part of the relationship, the mature one in the relationship. And he demonstrates and models this time and time again. If we got what we deserved, God would be the furthest away from us possible. If we got what we deserved, he would be nowhere near us because of the offense we've caused him and the hypocrisy we've been when we've said one thing and done something else. And the, like, he has so many reasons to be distant from us and his response every time is to keep coming keep coming keep coming in parables you you see it time and time again there's the landowner who goes to collect his uh his money from the uh the people that that were looking after his land and he sends servants out and they kill them what does he do he sends another servant out they kill them do you think there's a problem with the relationship here? Do you think there's something going wrong? Absolutely. So what does he do? He sends his son to connect with them. This is the model time and time again. And we've got to challenge what our culture says about separating ourselves as a solution to broken relationships. 
It is not God's way. It's normal in our culture. It's not easy, but it is not God's model for how relationships look. Now, I've talked about some things that, uh, that are a bit challenging in this space. We, in some ways, we struggle with proximity. But it's actually not all doom and gloom. It's, uh, uh, there's some things we've got to work on. But the phenomenal thing is that proximity is a tool. It's actually something that we've been given by God. It's something from his design that he has given to us to be able to make relationships work. It is actually a blessing. And I want to actually just land in this place because if we see relationships as just something we have to endure, then it's going to be hard work. We all know, anyone that's married knows it's hard work. Anyone that's had a long-term friend knows it's not always roses. Anyone that's worked in a, a team environment in a workplace knows that there's things about people you just don't want to know that just irritate you. But proximity is something that we've actually been given that's a blessing, that's an amazing gift. And time and time again, Jesus demonstrated and taught how proximity was the key to building healthy relationships. This is what the conclusion was of the Good Samaritan story that those theological students missed when they walked across the quadrangle. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who got proximate, who had mercy, that's my word, on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is your benchmark. And if you know the story of the Good Samaritan, there were three people that went past someone who'd been robbed and left for dead. And the one that should have despised the person the most, who had the most reason to hate the person and want them to be dead, was the one that actually crossed over to the side of the road that he was on, stopped, looked after him, put him on his donkey, gave up finances and time and commitment. The gift of proximity saved this guy's life. Like that's, you, you can look at the condemning of the other two, but what a blessing proximity is for this guy. Like imagine if he didn't have the blessing of proximity. Like that's really powerful. We've all got it. We've all got this gift called proximity. Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Get proximate. Go. You can do this. In Acts 1.8, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit come on, comes on you. And what's this power about? What's this power going to make a difference for you? And you will be my witnesses. To be a witness, you have to be in someone's space. You have to be proximate with them. And where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Get close to people. I've blessed you with, with this gift. And in Matthew 13, 28, he says, but the seed falling on good soil, this is the, 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 the parable of the sower, refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. Yeah, they've received the word. And what's going to happen when they're close, when they've received this, this word? This is the one who produces a crop. 
yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. Proximity is fruitful. This is a phenomenal gift that God's given us. And we often just take it for granted. We often just go, oh, yeah, I've got to work on that relationship or I really should call that person or this is an amazing tool. And, and this is why I'm excited about awakening because there's an opportunity and you heard Joan share about how profound it was to be in a stadium with a whole bunch of people worshipping. Now, there's a whole bunch of people worshipping now. It's the, actually the reason why we gather here because of proximity. I'm not sure if you realise that. But we can do everything we can do here at home, yeah? Uh, we could just record this, you listen to it at home, you can play the CDs, you can listen to people's testimonies, you can pray, you can do everything we do here at home. But you can't be close to other people when you're doing it. This space is a gift for God to say, hey, I want you to be close, I want you to rub shoulders, I want my Holy Spirit to, to excite you and, and, and excite the person next to you because the Holy Spirit's in you. You've got to be close to do that. And that's why we're here. And you go, wow, if there's someone in, in Melbourne that I need to be close to, I better get into Melbourne then, hadn't I? Maybe they need someone close to them to experience the Holy Spirit and experience God's love and be fruitful and multiply and, and multiply hundredfold and sixty and thirty. That's their journey because I can get close to them. This is not a place of going, woe is me, life is hard, relationships are tricky. Yes, we've got work to do. But we've been given an amazing gift, this gift of proximity. And we can use it. We can use it every single day. We can use it in every single environment. It's actually phenomenal if we see it as a blessing from God, an opportunity to speak his love and hope and grace into somebody's life. And if we value that.